Hello, Andrew Gomison here. I am privileged, as always, to be your host for the Speaking For Him podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there on the podcast landscape, and so it is very gratifying to know that there are people who listen to us and support us. I'm super excited that we are five weeks away now from our 10th anniversary and I can't wait to share that special broadcast with Adam McNutt, my former first co-host, and with all of you who have supported me through the years. Today's episode has a very personal tone to it. You know, if you've listened for any length of time, that I am in a wheelchair and physically disabled, and I do not shy away from talking about the things related to that, although it is not the center point or heartbeat of this podcast. And I had the privilege this week to see a movie called Gigi and Nate, which is brand new to theaters. Uh, This weekend was opening weekend, and I was super excited to see this film. I actually kind of just stumbled on it because this past Saturday was... Uh, National Cinema Day, and many theaters around the country, I believe, were offering $3 uh, movie tickets to whatever movie you wanted to see. And I started scrolling through the choices uh, on the off chance that I had the opportunity to go to theaters that day, and I was not able to make it. But in the course of figuring out what was playing, I saw the title, Gigi and Nate. I investigated further, found out it was about a disabled man who uh, learns how to gain his independence and zest for life back after an accident through the help of Gigi, a service monkey, and I was immediately interested in seeing it, and as I said, I was able to see it this week, and I'm excited to dig into this review for you because a lot of what he experienced are things that I have experienced. And so it's going to be a very personal and powerful journey as I unpack this film for you. I can't wait to do that. We'll do that a little later in the episode. But first, let's talk about what is going on. Well, I want to start out today actually with a local story, and it comes from Grand Rapids, Michigan. A Grand Rapids restaurant closed their doors in the middle of one of their busiest days yesterday after the owner says they could no longer handle the way they were being treated by guests. 13 on your side reporter Keely Lovern spoke to the owner today who says he wanted others to know it's okay to stand up for yourself and your staff. It wasn't an easy decision, but I think it was the right decision. On Sunday, Stephen Martinez closed down his restaurant early. We had a few interactions um, that happened during that busy period that just made it untenable for us to to operate. Basalt is a modern comfort Tex-Mex joint that sits along Wealthy Street in Easttown. Martinez says they love serving their customers. But Sunday, he felt he had no choice but to take a couple days off. I decided it would just be better for my staff to close down and give them space to breathe and to get a break from what was probably the worst day we've ever had. He said it was everything from rude language, little patience, destruction of their property, and even stolen mobile orders that led to a decision he never thought he'd have to make. Things are tight all day, every day. 
So any opportunity for me to have a sale really matters. Um, so I take it very seriously when I have to close early or you know be closed and we're expecting to be open. It really seems like there's almost a, an epidemic of entitlement happening. Martinez says that he and his staff know they work in the restaurant industry and the stresses it can bring, but... And that doesn't mean that we aren't going to expect to be treated with care and respect and dignity, too. We aren't servants, and we're not robots. Basalt closed for the remainder of Sunday and all day Monday. Martinez wanted others to also know it's okay to stand up for yourself and your staff. If I feel like they're not being taken care of, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure that that, uh, they're treated well and that work is not a place that is dreadful for them. We're people, and we deserve better than that. Basalt plans to reopen Tuesday for their normal hours starting at 7 a.m. You know, we're giving part of ourselves to take care of you, and what we want back is just some respect and, and dignity. Reporting in Grand Rapids, Keely Lovern, 13 on your side. This story really struck a chord with me because I know that as restaurants have been in the process of recovering from the COVID shutdowns, there have been many challenges for them going forward. I was reminded of a time when I went to Denny's in February and there was basically one man doing all the waiter work for the section that my uncle and I were in. And it took us forever to get our food. And the initial reaction is, well, when you go to a restaurant, you have an expectation of service and it shouldn't take forever. You should be able to be served in a timely manner. But as my uncle and I observed this man, we realized that he was working full tilt. He was doing his best to accommodate everyone that was there. And it was just utterly impossible for him to serve that many people. And so I've tried to think about what would it be like for me to be in their shoes? Obviously there are times when service at a restaurant is legitimately subpar and we should be willing uh, to call them out on that or possibly make sure that we don't continue to give them our business if that is the case. But poor behavior uh, from customers is not acceptable. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am convicted to make sure that my behavior in a restaurant is showing forth the light and the love of God. And so I just wanted to bring this story forth to you uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to let you know, especially if you are local to the West Michigan area, that this is not an isolated incident from the other side of the country or another part of the world. This is something that is happening right here in our backyard, and we need to make sure that we do not facilitate that type of behavior. I think it's good to be able to take a loss as a leader if it means that your employees are uh, taken care of. Thinking of the betterment of your employees is definitely a good business practice, and I don't think enough employers do that. Um, So I think that is a very good thing that has occurred through this story. He said that there there seems to be a culture of entitlement um, around, and I definitely think that is the case. And so... I just want to encourage you to make sure 
that when you're out and about, you are doing what you can to be salt and light in this area. One thing that I have been convicted to do, I had an, an acquaintance tell me once when we were out to a meal that he never tips. And that has motivated me to tip more when I go out to eat because I really want to encourage wait staff to do a good job, to be the best they can be, and also to encourage people that are having a bad day. I think sometimes we can and should use our tip to convey our satisfaction or lack thereof uh, in the service. But I also think that sometimes having a bad day happens to anyone. And if we show them generosity and mercy and give them a good tip, even if they're having a bad day and even if the service doesn't go the greatest, that can go a long way in showing uh, light and love. So just some words of wisdom on the issue of customer service and showing a Christian attitude in the midst of this crazy world in which we live. The next story that I want to bring out is a story uh, that is actually a follow-up to last week. Last week, you may recall uh, that we talked about the fact that the governor of California said by 2035 he wants to have all electric vehicles produced in the state of California. He no longer wants to produce gas-powered vehicles and the place where we're at as far as electric cars go does not seem to be ready for that. And this latest story seems to prove that hypothesis. First, some holiday travel headaches as millions of Americans hit the road and the skies this Labor Day weekend. In California, progressive politics are turning those headaches into migraines. Just days after the state banned gas cars by 2035, the state is telling electric vehicle owners not to charge up because of the heat wave. So just to be clear, don't charge the electric vehicles. They are pushing everyone to buy because their electric grid can't handle it. And at airports across the country, pilots are picketing the country's largest airlines, demanding a solution to the ongoing staffing shortage. Right now, there are more than 13,000 flight delays and nearly 2,500 cancellations. So, guys, I mean, you can only imagine what a real headache, a migraine that is for people, travelers, families across the nation who have had their uh, flight uh, plans interrupted, not only for the travelers, but the families waiting to receive them. Right. So this is just going on and on and on. These problems, delays, cancellations, staffing shortages. And how about what's going on in California? Uh, the electric grid is really taking a testing. You know, 14 percent of the grid there is powered by solar power. And it seems not to be holding up so well. <laughs> Guy, uh, what are the political implications here for Gavin Newsom? Well, you juxtapose the two headlines. What they just passed, this requirement by 2035, no more cars powered by fuel. And then literally, I think it was six days later, they put out the edict, actually, please don't charge your electric vehicles, which we're pushing <laughs> you towards. I know that we're all paid to make points here. Sometimes the point makes itself. Mm -hmm. This point makes itself. The one other thing I would add is when you look at some of the other things that they're telling Californians to do and not to do to try to keep the, you know, the electrical grid running, they're saying to set your thermostat at 70 
78 to 80 degrees. Tommy, we were chatting before the show. You're always a little chilly. I'm always a little warm. 78 to 80 and trying to sleep is a nightmare. Welcome to California. Progress. Can you smell the progress? Yeah, we have a graphic on on, on these uh, asks by state officials in California. Let's go ahead and put that up. So this has been put out by the uh, independent system operator of California. This is the entity that manages the electrical grid out there. So as Guy said, they're asking people from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. when the demand is greatest on the grid to please set your thermostat to 78 degrees. Try sleeping at 78 degrees, right? Refrain from using large appliances and refrain from charging that electric car they really want you to get. Tommy. I lived in California for a number of years, so this is not new. Flex alerts happen in California all the time. Yeah. But let's keep in mind, this is supposedly the fifth largest economy of the third world, yeah. is what it sure would seem like. People are paying an arm and a leg to live in California. It is unaffordable for most middle-class Americans. But then even when you pay to live there, you pay the taxes, you deal with the regulations, you deal with the liberals, you deal with the virtue signaling, and now you have to sleep in 78 to 80 degrees. You can't charge that electric vehicle they wanted you to buy. They're going to now force you to buy by a certain time. People are paying way too much. They're getting far too little. And what boggles my mind the most about all of this is that they keep voting for Democrats. Just consider what is being said here. The fact of the matter is that California made a decision to come out and say, by 2035, we do not want to produce any more gasoline power vehicles. They're working towards green emissions. In other words, they don't want to put any bad things into the environment, so they are pushing for a total electric car state in 2035 or shortly thereafter. Because they didn't say they weren't going to allow people to have gasoline cars. They just said they weren't going to produce them. But ceasing production is obviously the first step in this process. So the question becomes, how in the world are you going to support these cars that you want everyone to have if you are telling them not to plug in their cars during peak times, which is 4 to 9 p.m. You have to be able to plug in your car in order for it to be a reliable vehicle. I think that's such an important distinction to make here uh, because the reality is that apart even from that, they haven't even considered the environmental impact of the cars. But we're not really talking about that today. We're just talking about the hypocrisy of saying you need to get an electric car, but by the way, you can't charge it. The only way this works is if you have an electric car and a gasoline powered car and you say during this time where there's a moratorium on being able to charge your car, then you need to be able to use your gasoline power vehicle, thus defeating the purpose of going to a total environment of battery-powered vehicles. That's not even to mention what the environmental impact is on producing the parts that have to do with making the vehicle, as I have already said. So I think it's important as we think about uh, the environmentally friendly and responsible thing to do that we also think about the feasible thing. Because I think one of the things that we are good at in our discussions about these issues 
whatever it may be, whether it be electric cars or forgiving college loans or whatever you want to bring up as saying this would be a good thing without really saying what would be the impact of that. There are ramifications to every decision we make, and we need to make sure that we are considering ramifications before we make decisions that impact not only us, but especially those in the future, our children and grandchildren coming after us. All right, well, before we move on to our main segment, I just want to share with you a a feel-good story. I know that some of the things that I share are quite heavy, and I go hard-hitting on a lot of issues because I think it's important for us to be aware of what's going on around us. But it's nice to know that there are good things going on around us as well. And I was listening to a podcast. You've heard me reference it before the holy mess, and they were talking about a valedictorian from this past May who gave a speech at her college graduation. This is always kind of a special time of year because you have all the graduations, and there are just so many moments that come out of this that are really special. And I can't get enough of Elizabeth Bonker. She was a valedictorian at Rollins College, and she is autistic and nonverbal has not said a word in her life. It's amazing that she was able to get her degree with no communication. And to the point that she was told in high school, oh, you'll never be valedictorian. And not only did she excel in high school, but she's valedictorian of her college class. That's a big deal. So bright. So she got to give this speech, which I I know might sound confusing, but she did it completely through speech to text. Um, So she typed it all out and she even has some physical limitations. So she kind of had to type it with one hand, but it ended up being this beautiful moment where she shared with her class what she was going to do with the rest of her life and then challenged them. There are 31 million non-speakers with autism in the world who are locked in a silent cage. My life will be dedicated to relieving them from suffering in silence and to giving them voices to choose their own way. What is your dream? How will you rise up to meet the unprecedented challenges of our time? God gave you a voice. Use it. I just thought that was so powerful coming from someone who doesn't have a voice reminding Mm -hmm. us like, hey, you have power in what you say and what you're able to do. And she's going to go into the world. And I firmly believe she's going to change it because she knows what this is like. And she wants to make sure that others have a better life. Yeah, she's already giving us more insight into what someone is thinking and feeling who wouldn't have communicated it maybe otherwise. And I remember seeing this too, Becca, and she said something like, it's a lesson to her fellow students and to us that if you can recognize her voice without actually hearing it, but that she has one, then you'll be able to see everybody else's voice out there too. Uh. And to know that even if someone is not physically speaking to you, it doesn't mean they don't have something to say. This spoke to me on a variety of levels. The first one is just the fact that no matter what kind of disability or challenge you have in your life, your life is valuable. And I've preached this over and over again on this podcast and in the sermons I preach because it is so important. There's no belief more fundamental than the right to life. If you don't have the right to life, you don't have the right to anything. So that's the first thing that I would pull out. The second thing that I would say is that even those who cannot physically communicate with you have things to say. 
It's so amazing that she learned to communicate with this voice box machine because she was able to show that she's intelligent and not only show that she's intelligent, but, but able to communicate that intelligence. And that is exciting. And those are the words of a world changer. And I know that I'm not nonverbal autistic, and I thank the Lord every day that I have the ability to concisely communicate what I wish to to those around me, but I definitely take it as a challenge each and every day to prove to people that I can do things not just in spite of, but also because of my disability. Because I know that God created me um, with a special purpose in mind, and that he has great things for me to do. And so it gives me great pleasure to be able to fulfill that and to show people that I'm not making excuses for my life, and my prayer is that they will not either. Well, the time has come for our main segment, and today I am talking about the movie Gigi and Nate. Now, this movie is brand new in theaters. I went and saw it at the tail end of opening weekend, and it was very well done. I know there are some people that may call it cheesy and contrived, but I can tell you as someone who is disabled, there is a lot of reality there, and I really hope that people will watch this film. This film was not made by a Christian film company, uh, but the way they portrayed the family seems to indicate that there was a, a faith element uh, within their family. And one of the tricky parts of this uh, movie and story is that the core elements of the story were true. Uh, the, the young man that this was based on, was disabled, and he had a helper monkey to help him in life. But most of the details were fictionalized. I don't know why they decided to do that. I often um, cringe when people do things like this because I say, well, if it's a good story and you want to make it, make it close to the story. But I think at least in this case, they didn't pretend to tell the real person's story. They just took inspiration from his story and the book that his mother made and wrote a story kind of based on it. And despite the fact that it's highly fictionalized, there's a lot of truth here about the way that the struggles of disability not only affect the person that is disabled, but also affect the people around them. And I could relate to this hardcore. Before we go any further, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And this quote is from the movie, and it's the main character, Nate Gibson, and he has this to say. He says, Gigi allows me to live my life to the fullest every single day. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. And you see this play out in the movie. You see a, a healthy young man go from having college aspirations six weeks away to a paralyzed young man with no hope for the future. And one of the reasons that his mom sought out a service animal for him, I'm sure, was the physical task that could be done. But I think 
even more so in this particular story was brought out the emotional impact that having a service animal can do. And I want to dig further into this, but first let's hear the trailer for Gigi and Nate. There she is. Hey, Gigi. I don't think she likes me. <laughs> oh, she likes me. She just doesn't know it yet. My name is Nate Gibson. I've been in this wheelchair since I was 18. Just jump already! I was six weeks away from college. When I got paralyzed, I had nurses around the clock. And then one year ago, my life completely changed. I'd like to request a service animal for my son. And that's when I got Gigi. She's a lot smaller than I thought. How's it going? It's not coming out. Let's try the peanut butter. Come on, Gigi. Ooh, look at that. Oh, she's supposed to be helping me. Carolyn said it would take time. All the way now. Ah, oh, man. monkey in the house. I wouldn't do that if I were you. <gasps> See, you don't disturb her when she's eating. Basic oh. monkey 101. <laughs> Can I get a picture? My little monkey. We should hang out sometime. She's never had this much attention. You're trending. This is so bad. It's everywhere. He can't be in here. What's that monkey? It's against the law. She's a busybody. And I wanted to punch her right in her Botox face. You're going to take Gigi away and I'm never going to see her again? You have to fight. You can't just let them do that. You can't give up. Gigi allows me to live my life to the fullest every single day. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for her. He has a monkey. Well, what do you want me to do about it? It's free country. And there you have the trailer for Gigi and Nate. Now, I just want to highlight real quick a couple of the cast members. I often forget to include the cast when I'm doing a review, but this cast was really well done. Charlie Rowe as Nate Gibson, a little inside baseball on him. He decided that he wanted to make sure that the monkey who was working with him on the film would believe that he needed help. So he always appeared to be disabled to the monkey. I thought that was very interesting. And then you had Marsha Gray Harden as Claire Gibson, Jim Belushi packs a powerful punch as the father Dan Gibson and Zoe Margaret was delightful as Lori. Lori is a girl that Charlie as Nate Gibson meets at a 4th of July celebration slash fair kind of in the town that he is in. He invites her out on a boat. They have a good time together and then they kind of go their separate ways and 
a few months later after he's recovered from his accident and his paralysis, he's in the supermarket with his wheelchair and she's working there and they reconnect. And I really liked the way they portrayed this character um, because she wasn't scared away by the wheelchair. It wasn't like, oh, I spent time with you as an able-bodied person. Now that you're in a wheelchair, I'm going to run away. Uh, because I'm going to tell you this, folks. I've never had anybody overtly tell me that they were running away from me because I was disabled. Um, but I have felt people pull away because of things they didn't understand. And so I kind of like the fact that they added the element here that she was willing to learn about his new reality and embrace him at least as a friend, if not a little bit more, despite uh, that new reality. And I, I like the way they did it. It was subtle. It was not a central point of the story, but I really liked it. And I liked the way Zoe Margaret plays the part. She's, she's a beautiful young lady, and she did a very fine job. Another acting uh, job that I want to uh, make you aware of is Josephine Langford as Katie Gibson. And I really liked this because there's a particular scene in the film where Charlie... Uh, and Katie are talking and as their parts, Nate and Katie and their conversation is about how Kate feels a responsibility to Nate to take, to help take care of him, to be there for him. And she is hesitant to take a job across the country because of it. And he says, you've already given me so much. You told me to keep on fighting and to not leave. You told me I didn't have your permission to leave back when I was in a coma. You thought I couldn't hear anything. I heard every word. And just his validation of her as a sibling and the fact that he didn't want her to give up living life because of himself was very powerful. I know there have been at least some level to which um, my siblings and family have given up on my behalf. Uh, and I understand that and I'm very grateful for it, particularly my caregiver Bartholomew. I know that he has given up a lot um, to be that caregiver and brother and best friend that he is, and I'm extremely grateful. Uh, but I also am grateful to God that he has allowed me to see that I'm not a burden, to accept help from others and to be grateful for it. I think sometimes we think of giving help as this altruistic thing without actually realizing that receiving help can be just as important for us and, and just as integral to Christian growth as just being able to receive that help. So in this story, we see um, Nate deal with the realities of adjusting to life at, at being paralyzed, we see his his parents make sure that he gets the best medical care. They go to a small hospital uh, where they live, and it's not sufficient for Nate's needs, so they air flight him to a bigger hospital, and they wait to see what happens. He's in a coma for a while, is unable to communicate, and then finally comes out of it. And then they fast forward uh, the story, uh, basically four years, I believe. And, and they show him in a wheelchair. 
he's depressed and despondent. And at one point he actually goes in front of a pond that they have on their property, uh, lifts himself up in his chair and launches himself into the pond with the goal of killing himself. And his parents fortunately see and they rescue him. But I could relate to this as well. When I was a young teen, I didn't understand why God chose to allow me to be disabled. And I still, to this day, struggle with understanding of that. But the reality is that God is good and that God has taken care of me and has given me everything I need to live a fulfilled life through Jesus Christ and through those around me. And I think one of the most important lessons that I learned is we live in a very individualistic society, a society that tells us that we need to look out for ourselves. I've seen memes lately, especially that say, talk about women not needing men. And I know that some of that comes from real personal hurt that these women have gone through. And I'm sorry uh, for men who have made these statements a reality in the women that they have affected. But the biblical truth is that we need each other. And that in order to say as a woman that you don't need men, you need to swear off 50% of the human race. That's pretty intense and dramatic right there. And I don't say that to be flippant. I say that because it's the facts. And so shame on us as men who have put women in the position to feel that way. But shame on our culture to let women know that the answer is to take it out on all men, to say that all men are pigs, to say that all men are unreliable, to say that all men are wrong. When the reality is there are a good number of men out there, myself included, who are trying to live a life that is worthy of God and that is honoring to those who we love, both men and women. We were made to need each other. We were made to function as one body, as Paul says, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So after this attempt, his parents are really grasping at straws and trying to figure out the best way to connect with him and to give him hope. And his mom sees uh, this organization that trains service animals. Now in the movie, we see that it's a, that it's a service organization that seems to be an overarching one that trains several different kinds of animals um, in Real life, it seems that there was an organization called Helping Hands to train service monkeys. I believe primarily capuchins. That's what's portrayed in this movie to serve the disabled. And I was talking to somebody about this recently and they said, why monkeys? Well, I think um, more than their abilities or perhaps equal to their abilities, because they do have opposable thumbs, so they can do things that dogs cannot, is also their age. 
because a capuchin monkey in captivity can live 40 to 45 years as opposed to a service dog which lives 12 or 13 years if you're lucky and sometimes a little bit more. The reality is I've had two service dogs in my life and I'm only 43 years old. If and when I decide to get a third, I could still outlive that third dog and need a fourth or even a fifth before my life is over. So if there was a comparable animal that was available that had a longer life expectancy, it would be beneficial for this reason. What did I specifically like about this movie? I liked the way that the emotions of the family were raw. They were all struggling with how to process this this issue. Um, the mom was praying to God for help, and I really appreciated that. There was a time later in the movie where she conveys how hard it is to take care of her son, but she never once says she's a, he's a burden. She never once says, I'm going to stop taking care of him. She just says that this is an issue. And I'm just acknowledging it to be real. And I need to do so to take it seriously. And I think that's an important lesson for people uh, that deal with friends and loved ones with disabilities. Even those of us who have disabilities would tell you that we would never tell you to not admit that it's hard. We would never tell you that if you told us that it was hard to take care of us, that we would be offended. We, we may be offended at times to hear that, but the reality is we know that it's true. And so having someone acknowledge it should not hurt us. And I, so I really appreciated that. As I said before, I appreciated the interplay between the sister and him and between this girl who becomes his friend and stays his friend uh, despite the disability. And at the end of the film, when the family is gathering for another family dinner, she is there with them. And as I said, it wasn't billed as a romance. It's not a big part of the story, but I really appreciated that because she saw him for who he was. And I am grateful as a disabled man to have several friends who see me for who I am, who are willing to help me and who make my life richer because our friendship is legitimate and genuine. So the things I did not like about this film, uh, the, he goes to a college party and drinks and the monkey drinks too. Uh, that's kind of an adult aspect that I wish was not in this film, but it is a reality for a lot of people. And I guess it shows some of what you deal with when you don't fully trust God. As I said, there was a, a element of God in here because they did cry out to God for help. But the, the drinking um, was something that I, I could have done without, but I can see how someone who didn't have a strong faith to rely on would choose drinking to deal with their situation. And as I said, I was also, um, suicidal myself or at least borderline. So when I was younger, so there's a lot here that I resonate with. Another thing that I thought was interesting is 
they have a subplot which apparently never appeared for the real life guy about being uh, pursued by animal rights activists telling them that um, they weren't doing right by having this helper monkey, that monkeys shouldn't be slaves, that they should be free um, in the wild. But the interesting thing about this is that Gigi was actually rescued from an abusive situation before she became a helper monkey. And the reality is that because she was a helper monkey, she wasn't actually spending a lot of time in her cage. She was actually spending the majority of her time going out and about with Nate. So I thought that was interesting that that storyline was there and, but it doesn't really amount to much because animals actually do love to serve. And I heard some of that when I would be out and about with my dog, um, or at least heard people talking around those issues. That was one of the reasons why when I got my dog, they issued the dog with a vest instead of a backpack. You could buy the backpack, but they issued the dog with the vest instead of the backpack because people complained that they saw the dogs out and helping people while carrying their many supplies. But overall, as I said, this is a very heartwarming film, and I would encourage you to watch it with your older teens because, again, it deals with issues related to disability that need to be discussed and need to be confronted and need to be dealt with. And I like the way that it does this. Um, one of the other issues that needed to be dealt with is that his mother needed to be willing to let him go and let him experience things and let him do things. Um, and she learned through the, through the lessons in the film to do that. And at the end of the film, he announces plans to go to college. Remember the beginning of the film, he was planning to go to college. He was six weeks away and then he got injured and his, all his plans were derailed from his previous life. But through the course of the film, he's learning to live life in the confines that he has. And as someone with a disability myself, that's definitely been a big part of what life is about is just learning to live the life that God gave you and not consistently wishing for another life. So I'm going to give this movie, Gigi and Nate, a solid uh, 3.8 stars out of 5. I would still encourage you to watch it, um, but because of adult language and because of the drinking scene, I had to lower the rating. But all in all, very well done. Thought it was a very good rep representation of the disabled. I know some people said they should have had a disabled actor play the part. And although in some ways it might have been a good opportunity, they incorporated flashbacks a lot. And so they needed to be able to have an actor that went from able-bodied to disabled without a hitch. So all that to say, I just encourage you to get out and watch this movie while it's in theaters. It's important to support quality movies and I was really excited to see the number of showtimes that they were giving to this movie this past weekend so I hope that it does well um, that's about all I have for this week but I hope that you have a great week and that you will continue to stick around and see what we have coming on speaking for him before I go I want to share with you a segment as we continue to dig into 
our Speaking for Him scrapbook. This is a segment from one of the many dramatic presentations that I've written in form of first-person narrative, specifically for Good Friday. This one comes from the perspective of Simon of Cyrene. I'm really excited for how it turned out. Take a listen, and if you like what you hear, go back and listen to the original episode, which was episode number 181 of the Speaking for Him podcast. And thank you for your continued support. It took all of my strength to pull my boys to me so they wouldn't be swept away in the mass of people that surrounded us. We never made it to the temple. What a blessing to look back and realize that the events to follow made that unnecessary. Without warning, the world began to spin in slow motion. It took me a while to process what I was seeing. I saw the Roman governor, Pilate, speaking to the people. I remember him saying, Shall I crucify your king? Then I heard his words that Jesus had done nothing wrong. I didn't know much about him, but I knew from certain people traveling through on business that Jesus was a teacher, known for his wisdom, for great miracles and love for others. As I looked at the torn and beaten man of whom Pilate spoke, I sensed immediately that Pilate was right. The stark contrast between the meek, silent Jesus and the rough, sneering murderer Barabbas who stood opposite him was unmistakable. My first instinct was to turn around and leave, I didn't want to be there myself, and I certainly didn't want to expose my sons to the violence they were witnessing. Unfortunately, the crowd was too massive and, and too riled up for escape to be even possible. I felt hopeless as I watched the surly Barabbas, who was a well-known criminal, be released at the request of the people. I saw the fire in his eyes and heard the pure evil in his raspy cackle. Meanwhile, Jesus simply stood there silent. He was covered in blood. It seemed to be everywhere. I'll never forget the crown of thorns, which was firmly planted on his brow, standing as a blatant mockery of his claim to be the king of the Jews. I stood in amazement as Pilate washed his hands, and told the people that he was innocent of Jesus' blood, and bound him over to be crucified. Some people were crying, but most of the people, provoked by the religious leaders, were willing to take responsibility for this act. His blood be on us and on our children, they cried. My mind immediately flashed back to the Passover meal we had shared the night before. I thought of the words of Moses that we had recited together. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. 
Could what I was witnessing right now be fulfillment of that? Was Jesus of Nazareth our long-awaited Messiah? I wasn't sure at that point, but I knew something significant was happening. As I was standing there in shock, not sure what to do, a strong harm seized my shoulder in a vice grip. Naturally, I resisted, but as I turned and looked into the face of a Roman soldier ready to draw his sword, I realized that such efforts would be futile. You! The Nazarene is too weak to carry his cross. Help him now! I looked over and realized that Jesus was on his knees, staggering under the weight of the crossbeam that was even now slipping from his shoulders. I flashed a look to my sons and bent to assume most of the weight of the roughly hewn wooden cross. Some of his blood hung to the cross where he had carried it, and now was dripping on me. I looked over into those kindly eyes, which even in the midst of his suffering seemed to speak to me of his love. After a few feet he fell again, and I took up the cross myself, as two Roman soldiers grabbed him and half-carried, half-dragged him up the mountain. I couldn't believe what was happening. There was no way I could have anticipated this when I rose the early that morning. I would have rather been anywhere else but where I was. I remember praying and asking God for wisdom and strength and, and even forgiveness, because I knew in my heart of hearts there was something very wrong going on here. When we reached the summit of Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they took the cross from my shoulders and nailed him to it. I couldn't help but notice that the man who had been silent during his death sentence was now crying out. Yet it wasn't the cry of an innocent man wrongly convicted and begging for mercy. Instead, it was a cry of love and a request for his father to forgive them. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And there you have just another example of the way that we have been able to creatively use this platform of the Speaking for Him podcast to bring glory to the risen Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.